Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks. This is your host, Auntie Vice. I'm here with Devin Stone. He's a kink educator, BDSM expert, runs Affirming Matters, which is a coaching and counseling session, has put together the Thrive Conference, presents all over the country, and has lots and lots of books out. Welcome to the show, Devin. Hi, thank you, Auntie Vice, for having me. It's so good to have you here. You have a really interesting story, right? So you were going along and bopping along in the world. And then what happened in 2019? Ah, uh, man, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really do. You know, when uh, I, I set up a new web consultant to uh, revamp my website and they were working on my resume page and I got a text message from them had to have been, you know, just me thinking, Oh, you just need a, a quick clarification or I got to edit something or what's, what's the problem. And they said to me, no, I just have a question and I just want to make sure I've got this right. Um, I'm looking at your resume and it says in like 2014, 2015, we've got like one or two classes. And then all of a sudden 2019, we got like 30 classes. Is that right? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know what happened. I wish someone would tell me. The closest I can figure it is 2019 was the first time I taught at a conference that I I, I published a book um, in December 2019. So I don't really know how that explains, you know, the beginning of the year. <laughs> you know, I real I really don't know. I think what happened is somebody finally gave me a shot. I tried for a really long time to get into education was, you know, I'd put in applications. I'd ask my friends that were coordinating events. Hey, can I teach for you? Hey, can I teach for you? I've got these ideas. And I was just getting door slammed in my face for eight years. You know, you're too young. Um, you don't have enough experience. You don't have anything new or interesting to talk about. And we've heard all of this before. And I just, I got it left and right. And then all of a sudden, I got a chance. I taught a class. Um, I taught my first class at an actual event, a real conference in uh, 2019 at Oklahoma Leatherfest. I taught a class on cigar service and cigar play. And, you know, they gave me like 45 minutes. They were like, we'll, we'll give you a shot. Yeah. And as soon as it was over, I had eight or nine people lined up asking me, can you teach a class for my event? Can you teach a class for my dungeon? Can you come out to my place? What, what other classes do you teach? I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, and then from there, it was just, I, I just rocketed. I, I've been teaching almost every week since then. 
what drew you into doing BDSM education and teaching? Because this is not something that most people think when they're getting out of high school, this is what I'm going to do for a career. I absolutely, uh, you know, I, I really, I hope there are people leaving high school hoping that this is what they end up doing. That would be cool. Right. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't really, part of my story is, is that I didn't really have an identity for a long time. I, I spent a really long time in an emotionally abusive relationship and I bent myself to whatever that person wanted me to be or do. So, you know, if they said, you don't go to college, I didn't go to college. Um, if they didn't want me to have a job, I didn't have a job. So I didn't have any aspirations or, or life goals for a really long time through most of my twenties, in fact. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do at all. I spent a, a good bit of time once my divorce process started I spent a really long time just trying to figure out like, who the hell am I? <laughs> you know, what do I believe in? What do I like? I, I couldn't even tell you how I liked my steak cooked or what kind of ice cream was my favorite. So I spent a really long time kind of discovering myself. And in that process, I was also taking classes and going to conferences. You know, I was really heavily involved in the community and I was going to stuff left and right. And at one point I went to a mini conference in Kansas city. And I was with my property and we sat and we, we watched these people teach these classes. And, you know, like I had seen hundreds of times before and something just clicked that I, I realized all of a sudden that the person that was standing up on that stage was making me think about things in a way that I had never thought about them before. And I had been thinking for a long time about kink and especially power exchange and authority transfer dynamics in very different ways than other people had ever thought about them before. So when I was, you know, talking to friends or mentoring somebody or having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I was hearing people tell me, I've never thought about it that way. I've never considered that in my process. Wow, your process is so interesting. Your process is so different. And it was that moment that I realized this presenter is teaching me something that I've never thought about in that way before, because only they can teach it that way. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to take my process and the stuff that I'm passionate about and my experiences, and I want to give it to people. And that's what I want to do with my life. And that was when, you know, that was when it started. That was in 2017 that I made the decision that not only did I want to teach a couple of classes here and there, but I really wanted to teach. And I did. I, I started, you know, I started real small and then in 2019 kind of snowballed. And I, in about mid 2019, I had a conversation with my property when I got an offer to teach for a conference that my job wouldn't let me have the weekend off for. And so I was faced for the first time with this oh shit, I might have to say no to an opportunity that I've been begging for for years mm -hmm. and I can't, I don't want to do it. And so I looked at my property and I said, I'm going to have to tell XYZ conference no, and I don't want to. And the slave said, well, then don't. And I was like, well, that, you know, I guess that makes sense in your organic brain. Um, but I'm <laughs> over here with like black and white numbers and shit. And in my world, that doesn't work. And it was like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. 
you want to go teach at the conference, go teach at the conference. And I was like, uh, but money. And it was like, eh, I'll just pick up a second job. We'll figure it out. And I was like, are we really, are we talking about me quitting my job right now? Are we, are we talking about me making this my career? And they were like, yeah, that's what you want. Isn't it? Like, that's what you want to do with the bulk of your time. I was like, I mean, yeah, but like you need money to survive. And it was like, I, I make money for us to survive. We don't need money for us to survive. You go do the thing that makes you happy. And that's when we made that choice. And uh, I've, I've been doing that ever since. So you bring up a lot of things that not all of our listeners are going to be totally familiar with. You keep referring to your property and your slaves. So let's talk about power dynamics, power exchange. For you, how is that defined and how does that manifest? So for us, um, our power exchange looks a lot different than a lot of other people. And we're often the first couple that most people have met like us. So we're pretty used to that. But in general, authority transfer or power exchange relationships, as a lot of people refer to them, are just simply roles. They're relationships that are specifically designed where one person is in charge and one person is not. In my relationship, we're a little farther to one end of the spectrum. My property Um, I use the terms property and slave interchangeably. Um, My property has no autonomy or agency to make their own decisions. I make all of the decisions, though my property functions as a fantastic auxiliary prefrontal cortex and helps me in a lot of ways and supports me in a lot of ways. But in reality, it's not much different than what people assume a typical relationship looks like. You know, we we live together, we sit on the couch every night and watch Supernatural and hang out with our dogs and we we eat food and you know we 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 have sex, we fight, we, you know, our relationship looks just like anybody else's. Um the only real difference is that at the end of the day I make the choices around here. And my property doesn't argue my choices. So that's that's what we look like. So how did you come to the decision that that your property was going to give up that autonomy? Because for a lot of folks, the concept of giving up total autonomy is terrifying. Oh, no, absolutely. For us, it really actually boils down to a cultural thing. My property is Taiwanese. And in Taiwanese and in, in Chinese culture and a lot of Asian culture in general, the idea of individual identity and autonomy and agency is actually a foreign concept. In my property's cultural background, it makes more sense to meld their will into a bigger picture versus, you know, here in, in the Western culture, we put a lot of focus on independence, you know, doing what you want to do, not taking anybody else's criticism or advice. You know, you just do the thing that makes you happy and you have that autonomy and agency. And I think that, you know, while it's for me as a person that's a trauma, so I'm a, a person that lives with a lot of trauma in my background, it's really important for me to focus my agency and autonomy. And my relationship is a very aggressive way of doing that. So, I live in an environment now that is completely opposite to what I grew up being used to. You know, I would say no and nobody would listen to me. And now when I say no, the person that I spend the most amount of time with that I'm, you know, really tied up in listens. When I say, you know, what do we want for dinner? And my property says steak and I say chicken, we're having chicken. 
and there's, there's no argument. There's, there's no, you know, I don't have to go into my fawn response. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go into my people pleasing. Uh, I can just stand up for what I want and say, nope, that's what we're doing. I don't care how you feel about it. And my property just kind of melts in this, in this feeling of happiness and genuine sacrifice and enjoying the fact that, you know, whatever it's doing in that moment is, is serving the greater good. And that greater good is the person that it loves and adores more than anything in the world. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little woo, (laughs) but that's us. I totally understand how melding yourself to somebody else's will isn't enjoyable. I'm very submissive. Like that makes sense to me. The idea of making that many decisions for somebody else is exhausting to me. (laughs) How is it to have to manage somebody else's world like that? You know, really, um, that's one of the things that I love most about my property is that my property is a very well-oiled machine. There are so many people that I see in a lot of power exchanger authority transfer relationships that, you know, the submissive will go to the master or the da- or the daddy or the dominant every 20 seconds and say like, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? My property is the direct opposite. We, I am a very big picture person when it comes to what our relationship looks like and what my property's day-to-day looks like. Um, so I said at the beginning of our relationship, and it's been that way ever since, I said, this is what I want. These are my goals. These are the things that I believe in. These are the things that I want to focus on. Make that happen. And if you get stuck somewhere, come let me know. And my property to this day has, I I don't think it's asked me for direction more than two or three times in our whole relationship. We've been together for five years. Uh, You know, it, we, (laughs) we often refer to it as um, the, the, the robot because it just, it just does the things. I, I don't know how most of it happens. I don't really focus on the process. I just, I focus on the end result and the end result so far is making me real fucking happy. So we're just, we're just going to leave it alone and I'm just going to let it do what it's doing. You also talk about how they provide prefrontal cortex thinking for you and you're very black and white. So you talk a lot about in your teaching and in your coaching and stuff, folks who are neurodivergent in different ways. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did you start by understanding how you think is different than the rest of the world? Because we only know what goes on in our own head. So when did you realize you weren't processing things in the same way? Right, right. I think that for for a good portion of our lives, we believe that everybody functions the same way, um, right? Everybody experiences this thing that I'm experiencing. That's normal, right? Oh, no. <laughs> Part of it really was discovering that my experiences were different. I, you know, I, I remember being in middle school and high school and starting to notice really strong differences between my family life and my friends' family lives. And from there, I just started to discover um, a few differences in ethics and morals. I started to discover that as kind of a younger adult was kind of figuring out that I was thinking about things a little bit differently than other people. And the more I developed my own identity, the more I figured out that my thought processes were very different. This is when I also started to discover that I had some neurological issues going on that I didn't notice before um, because I had never really been faced with having to go through those thought processes. So I started to notice that some of my gears didn't work. And I, so when I talked to, you know, my medical team and, and 
tried to figure out what was going on, it was like, oh, traumatic brain injury. And that coupled with a personality disorder that changes the way that I function and the way that I think about things and the way that I uh, engage in interpersonal interactions was huge. It was, it was kind of a giant wake-up call as to understanding these are the reasons that I've been having fights in my relationships. These are the reasons that I don't get along with some of my friends sometimes. These are the reasons that I get frustrated when people ask me to do things and I can't do them the same way as other people. Like, oh, everything makes so much sense now. And I got to tell you, the, the, the biggest part of that that really helps is the fact that I'm in a relationship with a therapist. <laughs> that actually studied brains. So every time I come up with something, I'm like, I don't know why this is happening and I don't get it, but it's, I need it to happen this way. And my property is just like, okay, if that's how you need it to work, that's how we'll do it. I'm like, what? I don't have to qualify or explain or, or ask nicely <laughs> for you. And they're just like, no, I mean, I have plenty of clients that feel that way. So I get it. I'll, I'll, I mean, I don't get it, but I get it. I'll just do it that way then from now on. Okay. <laughs> so it's just fine then? All right. Cool. Good talk. How much of, of coming into your own identity between understanding that your brain works differently, you approach relationships differently, was tied to your journey in BDSM and Oh, King. man, everything. <laughs> oh, oh, man, everything. It was For me, it was all really, really tied together. Because my experience in the kink community was actually what I, I want to say it was like the the straw that broke the camel's back and and made me realize that I needed to think about some things. Um, my involvement in the community really got me thinking about consent, and it really got me thinking about negotiation and determining what was right for me. And I realized when I started learning that in the community that I didn't have those fundamental pieces in most of my life. I, I didn't have them with my friends. I didn't have them with my relationship partners. I didn't have them with the people that I was getting close to. I didn't have them with the people that I was learning from. And all of a sudden just kind of exploded in my brain and was just like, oh, shit. I really got to start thinking about this. And as I started to discover my identity, I started to discover my preferences and I started to discover my thought processes and what I really wanted out of life. And it turns out <laughs> I was pretty sure for a long time that I didn't really want anything and that I was content to just make people happy and do things that people told me to do and, you know, stay safe, do the things that they tell you and you'll be fine. Turned out I had a lot of opinions and I had a lot of desires and I had a lot of feelings that I was never able to express. Turns out I wasn't the gender I thought I was. I wasn't the sexual orientation or romantic alignment that I thought I was. I, I wasn't the role in BDSM that I thought I was. Um, you know, I came into the community when I was 20 years old and I, at the time I called myself a slave I called myself a leather girl. I called myself um, weak and, and small. And those were the things that I identified with. And now, you know, here we are, fast forward. I am 31 and I identify as a trans man. I'm queer. 
I am absolutely certain of everything that I want. I'm loud. I'm big. And I, you know, part of my identity is larger than life. Everything that I do is larger than life, which is almost direct opposite to what I thought I was when I came into this community. It's fascinating. It really is. It is. It is. And I know in the last year or so, you've been doing a lot of work around the idea of the fawn oh, response, yes. which comes up. And it's not, we talk about other relationship attachment styles and 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 love languages and everything but i think the fawn response is something that gets ignored so why don't you introduce what that is and kind of how it manifests because i think once people hear that they'll go oh my god that's what i do yeah i the first time i had somebody explain fawn response to me i was like oh my god everything about my life makes sense so the, the basic idea of the fawn response is it's, it's also considered the, the submit response or um, the people pleaser response. So it, it, stereotypically, we think about the fawn response. We think about somebody doing something with us, to us, or for us that we don't like. And, you know, so for instance, you're at a dinner party and somebody serves you mashed potatoes and you're just not feeling mashed potatoes tonight or anymore, you know, maybe you've had enough or maybe you haven't had any, but you didn't want any in the first place, but they put it on your plate. And what do you say? You just say, thank you. And when they say, do you want some more? You say, of course, I would love more. Sure. And then they put more on your plate and you just, you're just okay with that. And you're not though, you're not in, in your innermost thoughts and being, you're not okay with it. You don't want the fucking potatoes. And every part of your body is screaming that you wish you could just say no to the fucking potatoes. But what comes out of your mouth is, thank you. I would love more. These are delicious. Thank you so much. Right. And so the, the fond response basically is it's one of our survival instincts. You know, if you tell the person that's harming you or the person or the situation that's harming you that everything is fine, it will be over faster. And you can just grin your grin and bear it and it'll, it'll be over with soon. Just got to get through it. And that's what the fawn response is doing is trying to protect us. When I first had the fawn response explained to me, I, everything about my life made so much sense. Um, I thought for a really long time that I was just really weak and that I just didn't have the ability to say no. I didn't realize that my body was protecting me. I didn't think of it as protection because the things still happened to me, right? You know, so we think about the fight flight response and it's like, well, if you fought, then the thing didn't happen. Or if you fled, you know, you ran away, then the thing didn't happen with the fawn response. The thing still happened. And I think that for me, a big part of that was, was kind of that realization that the things still happened to me, but my body was still trying to protect me. My brain was still trying to protect me. And now I have, you know, I, I feel part of my mission is is to to talk people through that discovery and to help people figure out the thing that I figured out that changed my life, you know. And one of my biggest challenges in life is living a life as a master, as a leatherman, and as a dominant that has a fawn response. And that's, you know, weirdly enough, it's been yet another thing that I find really rewarding is talking to other D-types that feel that that understand where I'm coming from. And they're like, no, we don't always want to do the things. Sometimes we do it just because we don't want to have a fight. And I'm like, what? 
What? See, I was always told that the masters and the dominants and the D types had all their shit under control. And it was the S types that we needed to manage. (laughs) Now you're over here telling me that D types have problems too. Oh God. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that's more rewarding than anything. I'm all about smashing the stigma. (laughs) And and I love that. And I love that about your work. So you've gone on from, you know, didn't go to college, didn't have this traditional upbringing, and now you're certified in multiple areas. So how does that work when you have TBI, traumatic brain injury, and you have neurodivergence? How did it work to actually go back and get certified and all of that? Um, Was it a big challenge? Where'd you go to get the certifications? You know, a lot of it really is that my my current education and, and certifications are non-traditional. I did consider for a while, um, I, you know, I worked my ass off to get my high school diploma um, back in the day. When I got it, I celebrated. You know, it was a huge thing for me. And mm-hmm. I was applying to colleges and I wanted to go do the things. And I had great test scores. I had really good, you know... For, for all the stuff that I had thrown at me as a kid, I went to 15 high schools. The fact that I graduated is a miracle, let alone that I graduated with a 4.0. And so for me, you know, one of the big things that I wanted to do was, was go to college. You know, right after high school, I was like, okay, college, let's do the thing. Um, and I didn't have any money. And I didn't know anything about how to go to college. Nobody that I knew, especially in my immediate circles, had ever been to college. So I didn't really know how it worked. So I talked to the guidance counselor at school and she helped me fill out an application to a few schools. And um, I got a, I got a handful of acceptance letters and I was real excited about, you know, starting that journey. And uh, the person that I was in a relationship with told me, no, it was real simple. The answer is no college. The answer is you move with me to another state where you don't know anybody and you do what I say all the time. And I was like, okay. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I would love some more mashed potatoes. Thank you. So we we did that. And I was in that relationship for 12 years. Um, I wasn't allowed to vote. I wasn't allowed to um, hang out with friends by myself. I wasn't allowed to speak in social settings unless they specifically told me to. So I had a lot of rules. And I, I you know, didn't really think anymore about education for a long time until I started my divorce proceedings. And then, you know, I had this idea of like, I want to do something with my life. I want to, I want to have a career and I want to go to school and I want to do these things. Cause you know, that's what everybody else does. So that's, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And it turned out that I didn't really want to go back to school. I, I didn't want a traditional college education. Part of that was my TBI and how I process information is a little bit different than it used to be, especially when I was like a teenager. So part of that decision was, you know, taking back that traditional idea of education, right? Like just because I didn't get a degree at Harvard doesn't mean I'm not an intelligent human. And there are a handful of people in my field that are incredibly educated with, with, laundry lists of certifications and and degrees and such. And I don't have any of those things. Mm -hmm. So what I do have, I am a certified mental health first aid provider, which means I paid $50 and went to a five-hour training. So I have that. I paid $45 for a life coach training. 
um, and that I got from the transformationacademy.com. So I am a certified professional life coach. I am a certified professional coach. I am a certified relationship coach. I am a certified self-awareness and emotional intelligence coach. All of those things together took me approximately 12 hours to achieve and just under $300. I got it on a Black Friday sale. It was good stuff. So, (laughs) you know, my education is not traditional. Um, And honestly, professionally speaking, none of my certifications really count for anything. You know, if I wanted to get a job at some institution or university, they wouldn't recognize any of my certifications. They wouldn't recognize anything that I've done. And to be honest, most of those things that I did didn't really teach me anything. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just did mental health first aid training. And while it is a fantastic training program, a wonderful certification, highly, highly recommend it. I didn't learn anything. And it's because those are things that I've already self-educated. I, mm-hmm. I already learned the things about uh, crisis situations. I already learned all the things about different signs and symptoms for suicide ideation, depression spirals, you know, all these things. I, I know that stuff. And it's because I did self-educate. I, you know, I read books, I read articles, I watch, po- I listen to podcasts, I, I watch TED Talks, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I'm constantly educating myself. And part of that you know, piece of what I talked to a couple of my other, uh, a couple of my colleagues about is our field is completely unregulated as, as a full-time BDSM educator. I don't have to have a certification. I don't have to have a degree. In fact, I can't get one. There isn't a thing that certifies me to do what I do. It's not possible. I, you know, I could, I could go get a degree in psychology, I guess I could, I could do like the the great and wonderful Sunny Megatron. I could go get my American sexologists mm-hmm. certification. It's not going to help me. It's not going to do anything for any part of my job. It's not going to help my business. It's not going to help anything. So part of that decision was why waste the time and the money when I can just continue to educate myself the way that I have been for years. You know, so that was that was my process. You've gone to do this professionally full-time, you organize a number of conferences and a large number of them focus on the psychology aspects of of BDSM and and kink relations. So including, you have one coming up on April 22nd to the 24th, Thrive. Do you want to talk a little bit about the origins of Thrive and what's the purpose? How is this different than the other stuff out there? Absolutely. You know, when I came into the kink community, I came in as a bottom and I went to class after class after class about how to throw a fucking flogger. And I was really fortunate to be in an area where, where kink education was massive. There was a class every other day that I could have taken. And I was bored. I was so bored. I didn't want to learn rope 101 for the 50th time. I didn't want to learn spanking 101 for the 20th time. I was bored. So I went to a class at one point about mind fucks was was the topic. And one of the things that they said was we focus our kink more heavily on the cerebral side of things and less on the physical side of things. And something about that just like clicked in my brain. And I was like, yeah, me too. 
I think. <laughs> and the more I talked to the people that I really related to in the community, the more I was like, I don't care about the physical stuff. Like that's, that's nice. And it's fun. And I guess I could do that sometimes maybe at like four o'clock on every other Saturday, whatever. But I was more interested in the relationships. I was much more interested in the psychology behind the why we do the thing and the how we do the thing rather than how do I physically hit a person with an implement correctly and in a way that won't harm them or damage them. Like, granted, those things are very important. You should absolutely learn safety and consent and negotiation when it comes to physical acts. But I wanted the brain stuff because I liked it. I really enjoyed being able to sit at a munch and talk to somebody about the philosophy behind why they called themselves what they called themselves. What made you decide that? And, you know, how does it work in your relationship when you have this thing happen? And how do you negotiate around this? And the more that I kind of developed what I wanted to listen to, what I wanted to talk about, a couple of friends of mine and I came up with the idea of pragmatically kinking. Um, and, and PK was our idea of discussions and classes that really focused on the above the neck topics. So we put together, you know, classes and discussions around like ethical non-monogamy and negotiation and neurodivergence and uh, racial justice in MS communities and trauma-informed negotiation and all of these like super brainy topics. And I was in love with it. I was absolutely in love with it. At one point we had an idea, me and a couple of friends had an idea to host a mental health and power exchange panel. So we were going to put together five or six panelists on both sides of the slash. And we were going to ask them very pointed questions about their personal diagnosis and their personal dynamics. So I wanted to be able to have somebody on the panel that I could say, hey, you submissive with ADHD, how do you negotiate protocol, right? Hey, you dominant with antisocial personality disorder, how do you handle conflict resolution? And that idea was a flop. It was a massive flop. Um, I spent hours organizing that panel and I did it every year for seven years. And we never, not one time had more than 30 people in the room. The first year we had five people outside of the panelists attend. Um, the second, third and fourth year, we had maybe 10 or 15. And the biggest year we had was just a couple of years ago, right before, right before the Panini press, it was 23 people in attendance. It was the biggest it had ever been. And I was like, woo, <laughs> clearly nobody cares about my cool idea that I thought was really awesome. Um, so when the Panini press occurred, we were about to plan our panel, but we couldn't <laughs> um, because we couldn't go to the restaurant that we usually went to and we couldn't hold events like we used to. So, you know, we're scrambling and I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do to make this panel happen. And I had this brilliant idea because I saw somebody else do a class online. I was like, ah, we'll just do the panel online. So I reached out to a bunch of my friends all over the country. And I was like, I need panelists and I want to do this virtually. And they were like, okay, great. Sounds good. What day, what time? 
So we put it together and we had over a hundred people attend that panel. And through the panel, one common theme remained in our conversations and in our questions. We don't have enough time. We just don't have enough time. There's too many topics. There's too many different types of neurodivergency. There's, there's too many diagnoses. There's too many variations to what power exchange and authority transfer looks like. There, there's just, there's too many factors. We don't have the time. And somebody jokingly suggested that we could talk about this for a whole weekend and it wouldn't be enough. And I heard that and my brain just automatically interpreted it as a challenge. Just like, yes, wonderful comment, challenge accepted. What? (laughs) And before you know it, um, that panel, as we wrapped up the panel, I looked over at the slave and I said, we're going to do a weekend. And it was like, we're going to what? I was like, we're going to take that idea from from that panel and we're going to do a weekend. We're going to do a whole conference on BDSM and mental health and neurodivergence. That's what we're going to do. And the slave was just like, you're going to what now, master? And I was like, no, we we together, me and you. Um, so I enlisted the help of some fantastically awesome people and we, we put together thrive. Um, thrive is the, the epitome of all of the things that we do. Um, PK runs classes all year. Um, we, we run classes four or five times a month now. And we, our topics are always focused on the above the next stuff. We, we do negotiations, service, different aspects of protocol or history, things like that. PK is our regular events. You know, it's our regular classes every month kind of thing. Um, Thrive is our three-day virtual conference that is specifically geared to mental health, neurodivergence, and kink. So we've got classes and panels and discussions that are all focused on everything you ever wanted to know, mental health and BDSM. Um, It is a phenomenal weekend that we are really, really proud of. And I tell people all the time, like, I don't, I don't promote Thrive because I organize it. I don't promote it because I'm the producer. I promote it because I go to it and I see the things that I think everybody should see. You know, it's a great weekend with phenomenal people. Absolutely. I love Thrive. So if our listeners want to attend, because it's coming up, right? It's April 22nd to 24th this year. How do they they go? How do they sign up for all so of this? Part of the really cool thing about Thrive is if you want to go, you can go. There's there's really not a whole lot in your way other than your own schedule. You know, because it's virtual, so there's no travel. There's it's completely free, so there's no money. There's uh, the registration process takes all of 30 seconds. So all you got to have is a internet connection. We'll get you there. So uh, registration is completely free. You can register at thrivevirtualcon.com. And we'll have that link up on the Fat Chick site and on, on all of the all the various places we promote this for folks to, to join. Because it is, if you look at the panelist list this year, it is phenomenal. And if you heard the stuff about the fawn response and things, that sounds like me. Maybe I should learn some more. You have an entire panel on the fawn response, which is amazing to me. This is great. I'm so excited for this this conference. If our listeners want to find you, if they want to hire you for coaching, if they want to attend one of your classes, if they want to read your books, 
put all the plugs out oh, there. Oh man, I do so many things. Um, they, they call me the Mad Hatter for a reason. I wear a lot of hats. My website is devinstone.com. My name is spelled kind of weird. It's D-E-V-Y-N-S-T-O-N-E.com. Um, on my homepage, you'll find upcoming appearances. So where am I teaching? Where am I, where am I headed? Um, you'll find out a little bit more about me as well. Um, coaching and consulting. I have a variety of coaching and consulting topics, run things from self-awareness and emotional intelligence to time management, productivity, to leadership, to event coordination, all the way up to becoming a BDSM educator. My class list is also on my website. My books are also listed on my website. I've got a fantastic resources page that I love uh, that's got books and blogs and all kinds of stuff that you can learn stuff from. I, I just, I do so many things. There's a lot. Um, the biggest project outside of Thrive that I work on is my BDSM educator intensive, which is coming up in August. So August 27th, I will run a 10 hour intensive on how I do what I do. So it's basically just a big peek behind the curtain. I'll show you how I write classes, how I market, how I network, and how I do the thing that I do on a regular basis every day. Thank you. And thank you for being here. We'll make sure to get up all your links. And and so people can check out Devin's stuff. Check them out. I've got to say, I've learned a ton of stuff from you. I love working with you. I love taking your classes. And sign up for Thrive. The, the lineup this year of educators is incredible. So yes, check Devin out. And thank you for being on Fat Chicks. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. And now, a moment of gratitude. Well, while we're sitting and talking about Thrive and, and PK, the biggest thing that I've been thinking, especially lately, because you know we're coming up on when Thrive actually happens, which is our crunch time. And I got to say, the biggest thing I'm grateful for is my team. I have the best team. We are super organized. We're clean. We are like, there is no challenge that we can't handle. Every time I see something in our group chat, like, oh no, there's a problem. It, I can't even respond to the message before somebody else says, I got it. Like, <laughs> it is amazing. It is so amazing. We're, you know, and I know before, before we started the recording, you were asking how planning was going. Planning is done. Planning, there is no planning anymore. We're finished. We're ready. Our team is, and it, my team is fantastic. I, I can't tell people enough good things about they're, they're unbelievably supportive. They're organized there. And we have always got everything on lock. It is great. So if I'm, if I'm grateful for anything this month or this week, it's my team. <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. And I'm sure they'll be thrilled to hear it too. This has been an episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Fat Chicks on Top is produced and hosted by Auntie Vice. Audio production is by A Serious Production. You can find all information about Fat Chicks on Top at fatchicksontop.com and follow Auntie Vice at Auntie Vice on most social media.